Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Having a busy house, mm. having people coming in, experiencing life in all its glory and all its tears and all its joy, that really floats yeah. my boat. I didn't really have that as a child. And yeah. when I met David and I went into a Jamaican home and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is off the charts. I love this. I love the fact that there's a pot on the stove and everyone that comes gets something to eat. And then after that, they get something to eat. And then after that, they get something to eat. Yeah. Uh, but, the, you know, that, the whole Jamaican culture thing, I felt like I just landed in the person I was destined to be. Welcome to the Rhythm of Life with me, Otima Busset, the podcast that is all about talking to my favorite celebrity friend and finding out the rhythm of their life. My guest this week has had such an important life story and such a brilliant story to tell. We are going to get deep into conversation, deep into her mind and deep into her thoughts. Please help me welcome the amazing Carrie Grant. Hello, Carrie. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. The last time we saw each other, I think we were doing the one show, weren't we? We were, and you were surprising a young man with your amazing skills of dance, and he was yes. so made up. We were so excited to have you on the one show. Thank you for that. It was honestly my my, my pleasure and such a privilege. You grew up in Enfield, didn't you? I did. North London. Yeah, that little bit of London. North London. Yeah, on the outskirts where you're sort of trying to be a Londoner, but not quite making it. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be cool but you're really suburban <laughs> has music always been a part of your life have you always just loved it from a childhood yeah music is that thing I think it, it's only as I've got older that I realize actually music is what probably kept me alive as a child it's the thing that was my escape um childhood oh, was yeah. difficult and the thing the the thing that made me feel happy and connected and kind of made me understand who I am, I think, was just singing and dancing from a really, really young age. And, and that was the, the, the sort of the doing of the singing and the dancing, what impact that has on you and your, your mind. But then also, I think for me as a young person, it was the only time I really got any attention. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it worked on every level. <laughs> Star of the show. What was your earliest memory, actually, of you just singing and dancing yeah I think my earliest memories are of going to dance school at the age of two and a half and oh, wow. and having the little outfit you know with the crossover woolly jumper the ballet outfit and feeling I I this I feel alive when I hear the music and I, my favourite bit of every class throughout my training was when they put music on they say we're going to listen to two minutes and then you improvise and I would love that because I would just feel the music in my body and do the craziest things. And that, that to me just, that felt like communication. That felt 
just felt yeah. so connected. Yeah, that's amazing. So you started singing, you started dancing. Sorry, before the singing. Yeah. And when did the singing come in? So it's interesting because I think with music, you know, I, I've noticed this because I work in music and uh, singing yeah. and dancing and uh, right across the board in so many areas. But I've noticed that when people connect with music initially like a bass player will always hear the bass line and a drummer will always be hearing the rhythm and singers hear the melody but for me music the first place it hits me is in my body like in terms of moving the 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 thing I want to do first is to move and then to sing so um the singing came in I think when I was about five or six I realized that I could and uh, my mum would sort of drag me out at all the family parties and I would be made to sing in front of my family, which which I rather loved. But I, I suppose it depends on the music that you're immersed in. And, and I really yeah. only got into Im- the really fully immersed into music in my teens. And then, wow, it was like I, I wanted to, I just wanted to be out there singing. So um, mm. it was that combination of dancing and, and singing, I suppose. I mean, like, I don't know for you, but for me, dancing has always been a, some sort of escape. When Whenever things were, like, just too much, I was always the person that would close the, the door, put music on, and just start dancing. And I'd dance out my frustration. And at an early age, did you have something like that? Yeah, I, I so agree with you, Etienne. And I think, you know, you can see that in you. You can see that dance is more than a job for you. I see that when I watch you. Yeah. And I think it's important for those of us who are using our uh, creative gifts to mm. remember that it's not just about the job. You know, I create yeah. every day. Uh, I write songs that they, they'll never be heard. I just write songs because creators create. It's what we do. Mm. And dancing and singing is, is part of that. I sing every single day. And uh, so nine, that means that 99% of what I do doesn't have an audience, which means yeah. the 1% can really be enjoyed and be seen for what it is. You know, that's about giving your gift. That's about, you know, when you get to that point when you want your audience to receive what, what you have practiced and what you have done, that's a really lovely moment. But that's only just, that's the little pinnacle bit. There's an awful lot that goes on that's nothing to do with that bit. Yeah, that's so true. But as a child, you could sing and dance. You must, you must have been the coolest girl in your school classroom. I was so not the coolest person. I was the no? kid that was just, no, I was, I was not. I was the kid that had the hand-me-down clothes and I didn't fit in. And I was the, I, weirdly, just in that generation, I think I was the only child that was growing up in a single parent family. So, yeah. you know, that would, that wouldn't even be a big deal these days. But back then where I was growing up, it was a big deal. And, yeah. um, and so I really think that singing and dancing was the only thing that was buying me any brownie points in terms of being remotely cool, uh, because I, yeah. I, I found it hard to feel like I fitted in. I found it hard to feel like I was as good yeah. as anybody else because of what was going on at home. And, and, and so I, I guess in a way, dancing provided that outlet for me and it, it mm. gave me self-esteem. Why is it? That, that that we feel that way because I get that a lot when I talk to some of my friends. A lot of the time we feel like we don't fit in single uh, moms or, or single parent household. It, there's just this 
urge of belonging. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I think it's innately in us, the sense of needing to belong. And that doesn't mean everyone needs to belong to 5,000 or, you know, pop stars, millions of people, but belonging even to one or two people. The sense of belonging is really important for, I think, all of us. I think it's innately in us. And so Mm. for me, that that was that's always been in me, which is why it's so interesting nowadays that you know I my house when outside of lockdown is is a, is like a community center it has so many yeah. people has at least a hundred people come through my house in the space of a week and do what Carrie? yeah and do what so we run support groups for different people wow. different situations and um one that's got over 150 families and another one that's about 40 or 50 people um and and with those things you know for me that's I don't know. I think it's everything I didn't have as a child. Having a busy house, mm. having people coming in, experiencing life in all its glory, in all its tears, and all its joy, that really floats yeah. my boat. And um, I didn't really have that as a child. Uh, and yeah. when I met David and I went into a Jamaican home and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is off the charts. I love this. I love the fact that there's a pot on the stove and everyone that comes gets something to eat. And then after that, they get something to eat. And then after that, they get something to eat. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, that, the whole Jamaican culture thing, I felt like I just landed in in the person I was destined to be, which is, you know, really open house, really community, you know, all of that. So I didn't have that as a child. And then just, you know, that's something that I've worked at having in my adult life. And when did you decide, right, this is, this is what I want. I'm going to make this as a career. Was that in your teenage years or a bit later? I think from the earliest age, I remember my mum getting some free tickets from a friend to go to Sadler's Wells and, and watch the ballet and, and, and also Covent Garden, the opera house, and go see the Royal Ballet. Yeah. And I remember sitting in these, at the time, Sadler's Wells was like this really kind of, it was really run down. It was a flea pit. Yeah. And I remember sitting there. <laughs> I can't actually, oh yes, it was Midsummer Night's Dream and Wayne Sleep wow. was playing Puck and he was very, very, uh, very early on in his career. And I remember sitting in the audience thinking, I don't belong in these seats. I belong on the stage. I'm, I'm the wrong side. I need to be, I need to be up there. I'm one of those people. Wow. It's like my DNA was crying out to me. Yeah. These are your people. And so, and I remember I would have been about seven, maybe uh, when I started to think this is what I want as a career. And, and so, you know, I left school at uh, even, even sort of in my early teens before I left school, even I was doing modeling and bits of dancing. And at at 15, I just did my O levels as they were then. And I've got an August birthday. So I left in the June, I was 15. That's where the dream, I suppose, began. And and we had two or three, well, not two or three, we probably had 10 or 15 trips like that to the theatre. Mm-hmm. And and those days, you know, I put a long dress on and you'd really dress up to go to the theatre. It was the most amazing experience. And and and, and it was that I just felt like these are my people. I don't really fit at school yeah. and I'm I'm not sure why I didn't fit, but I just didn't. And And when I left school, I just thought, yeah, I need to just go and be with the people who I fit with. And it, I, that's where I've stayed, you know, largely is, is, is in the arts and, you know, actually with the community stuff I'm doing, they're not all artists, but yeah. you know, my work is, is really important to me. These are, 
it's part of who I am. And I love, that's why I love coaching because I love seeing that DNA in others. And I love exploring that with others and seeing where people are at with it. That's, that really gives value. That's so beautiful. So you're seven yeah, and you're a kid and you're sitting in the audience and you're like, this is what I want yeah. to do. Then you do all your trips. Where does that drive come from? Because to see something in the theater and to actually say, I'm going to do it, that's quite scary because you're, you're leaving school, you're taking this leap. It's probably in those days, it's never been done before and it's a risk. Where does that drive and actually that that courage that you have come from? Mm, I think a lot of us that enter into the industry, the sort of terms and conditions that we enter in are not always the ones we end up with. And yeah. so being very honest, I think what drove me was feelings of low self-esteem, feelings of not being good enough, feelings of yeah. wanting to matter and wanting to be important. I think those were all the reasons I came in. They were all the wrong reasons, but they were the yeah. reasons I where I my entry level at 15 was yeah. definitely, I just want someone to notice me and say I'm good at something so that I can feel good about myself. Mm. You know, that's not why I'm in the industry now in my 50s. I'm, no. I'm here because it's transforming and it's wonderful and I love seeing that transformation in people. But back then, yeah, yeah, that's what gave me that drive was desperation. How did it kind of affect you? Because you're entering this world, you 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 have this craving, this need mm. of wanting to be kind of accepted. How did that shape you in those days? Yeah, I think that I think what happens is that when you deeply, deeply don't love yourself, you will go for a shallow amount of applause. And to begin with, you know, that applause works. It fills the little gap. It's a little bit like drugs. You're like, oh, yeah, that feels good. I like that. But then it's not enough. And I think yeah. that's where you really get the confrontation of why am I doing this? Because I've still got to put my head on the pillow at night and I still don't feel great about myself. Yeah. So you might get those initial highs of being in the industry like, yeah, I got the applause. But, you know, deeper than that, you have to start questioning why you don't like yourself and that yeah. that came later, I suppose. <laughs> but, that, you know, I'm making it sound really deep. Back then, I probably wasn't questioning it no, quite that much. I just was loving great. it and getting the applause and going, yeah, this, <laughs> this feels really good. Let me get the next job under yes. my belt so I can get some more applause. No, but I guess you, you have to go through these times where you reflect on, oh, my God, I, I was doing this because I was looking for something else. Yeah. But that's why you are Kerry Grant today, because you've experienced that. You know what it feels like to be on the other side and so true and I you know I see that in every artist that I work with I see where they're at on that journey and and I admire that journey I don't judge that journey I just think that's yeah. a normal part of life for many of us is that we do feel really insecure and you know for, for artists it's the applause that makes it happen you know for another person yes. it might be when I get married I'll feel that and or when I get children then I'll feel that feeling and when or when I get money or when I get by my house or that we've all got things that we aim for that try to fill that gap. So for me, you know, hopefully it's a continuing process, isn't it? I, I hopefully I've matured. Yeah, for, well, I definitely have matured since then, but I probably still got, got a way to go too. you know, that yeah. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I really like being clapped at. It's good. It's not really. <laughs> I, my, my thing was was the red light. Yeah. So like audiences used to really petrify me because People can clap and others can't clap, but you don't yeah. really know what they're thinking. Yeah. And so I'm like, I don't even want to start thinking about that. But the red light, when the studio lights, the camera light, that goes on. I was like, oh, yeah, that used to feel like 
I so relate to what you're saying. I 100% relate to that. Telly for me, I came in at telly. My first job was as a dancer on Top of the Pops. So that was, you know, telly was where I began and telly is where I continued, but I was doing lots of other things. But I I so agree with you on that. Telly is... It's just extraordinary, isn't it? And I used to say to my yeah. students on Fame Academy when I was training them, I'd say, just remember when you look down that little black glass lens, there's like people sitting on their sofas eating a takeaway, you know, and you've yeah. got to make sure that you are so captivating that they put their knife and fork down and say, hang about, I've just got to look at this. And if they've got yeah. to pick up their phone and vote for you, you really got to connect. So how is your relationship with <laughs> yeah. the camera? It's always, been, it's always been that for me too. I really relate to what you're saying. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What was your first job where you actually felt like, okay, I'm starting to grow now. I, I feel good. I know what I'm doing. Oh, that's such a good question. I think there are so many facets to what I do. There was the dancing, there's singing, there's coaching, yes. there's leadership coaching, there's campaigning, and all these yeah. are parts of what I, I'm out there doing. But I think as a dancer, I don't think I ever really achieved that, if I'm honest. Mm. I think that I always felt like I wasn't actually as good as I needed to be. What type of dancer was it? So I was a telly dancer. I did all the TV shows. All TV yeah. shows had dan- a, a dancer section. Amazing. And so I was one of the dancers that did all of the, all the comedians that did Saturday night telly. They, they go, now it's over to our, you know, Little and Large or Mike Yarwood or Kenny Everett. All of those shows I, I was dancing on, but... I was, I, I'm a good dancer, I'm a good natural dancer. Yeah. I'm very slow to yeah. learn. And it's something I've, mm-hmm. l- the way I learn is slightly different, I think, and uh, to other people, perhaps I learn slowly, but once it's embedded, it's completely in mm-hmm. my body. So um, yeah. I think that that was always a challenge for me in my job. I just spent so much of my life feeling anxious. So it, it didn't turn yeah. out to be the big kind of saving grace that I thought it would be. I thought, I'll leave school and then that's yeah. going to make me feel... And it, dancing never did that for me as a career. Mm. I mean, it, dancing does, but as a career it didn't. I think singing-wise, I think when I started to work with some really incredible artists and know that I could cut it with yeah. people that I really admired, you know, people like, you know, I'd be singing on Roberta Flack's songs or, you know, Bette Midler or Diana Ross. And wow. when I was working with those artists, it was... Like, okay, you, you can't bluff your way through that, you know. You, you've got to be able to deliver. And, and, yeah. and my fascination with the voice on so many levels, it was, it was coming from every mm. angle, this thing of, 
of how the human voice works and also you know one of one of my things has always been to to be a door opener for other people so I was bringing in other singers into the industry and then I David and I my husband and I were arranging vocals and 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 teaching sections of singers and you know, then you're really flying. Then you're really like yeah. this. I sit in this. And then when we started coaching people like Take That and the Spice Girls, it was like, my gosh, here, wow. here are these people who are like 20 years old with 10 million in the bank and they're not that happy. And so we sort of added a whole thing of mentoring in with our coaching. Ah. So then it, you hit the sweet spot because then you're coaching, you're singing, you're mentoring. And those those jobs just really they're wonderful those are the jobs where you just think yeah I'm, I'm doing my I'm doing all my skills here I'm being stretched mm. and and this is a good day's work it's about transformation it's going away from that day and yeah. thinking that person is doing something vocally they've never done before or that person was not coping with their success but we had a chat and now yeah. I can see they've been transformed by that conversation and life will be different for them hopefully moving forward yeah. so those things they're, they're the things that make me feel yeah I, this is where I'm hitting the sweet spot and I'm good at what I do Let's say, for instance, somebody comes in and really well known. How do you know at that moment without speaking that they're struggling emotionally? How can you tell that someone is struggling? Well, the human voice tells me a lot about where someone is at emotionally. And that's a sort of instinctive gift I think I have. So I can listen to someone singing. I can sometimes tell what they've eaten for dinner. But more mm. often than not, I can tell even when they're smiling, I can tell that they're sad because it comes yeah. it, it comes in the voice. And when you listen to as many voices as I, as I do and over the number of years I've been listening to voices, that that's a really big part of my my work. And so I do think sometimes, you know, people that are very, very successful don't really have people around. Everyone around them is paid. So they don't really have anyone confronting them. Yeah. And my, my job isn't to go in there and go, who do you think you are in that kind of confronting way? But it is my job to say, are you okay? Are you all right? Because yeah. no one's going to cut them any slack. When you've got loads of money and you're really famous and you're really beautiful, you know, people's going to go, oh yeah, right. You know, you've got the problems, but actually they do have problems. They're, they're human. So, you know, I think it's about bringing that empathy into the room. And, and when you create an atmosphere of empathy, Things just open up. It just happens. Yeah. And and what are the steps that you seem to see that they take in order to open up? Because opening up is so difficult when you actually have people around you to pay you to tell you that you look good. Yeah. I think trust is one, isn't it? And that comes with, with time. Sometimes I've walked into a situation with someone and there's just been like a miraculous kind of instant connection and it's just happen straight away with other people it takes time and you know I'm not in a hurry so I, I can I, I you know and also I'm just there to teach singing so I can just leave it at that if I'm there just to teach singing just do that but more often than not it does go on a deeper level more often than not we do end up talking about other things and um and that's to me that's really precious I really I do feel totally privileged to be in the room when that happens you know that that really is mm. a, a wonderful experience that someone shares with you something about their life and they trust you with that when there's very few people that they can trust so I'm very you know I never share details about people um, and people know that about me I've never signed a non-disclosure agreement with any artist I've never had to um, and and that's but it's important you know it's important if you're listening to yeah. people's business that you are trustworthy and that you 
you hold the space and it's a safe space for them. Yeah, I definitely think it's important. It's important to share what we feel, no matter at what level where we are. No, what is the difference between an actual singer and a musical superstar? Because those are someone can have the, an amazing voice, but just not have that thing about them. Yeah, well, I think there's in, even at bass level, there's a difference between singers and vocalists. So you've got mm. people who've got fabulous singing voices, but a vocalist could be someone like Bono or um, David Bowie. You know, they, these yeah. are people who singing wise, are they technically correct? Probably not. Does it matter? No, because more than anything, what makes a star is their identifiable voice. It's their unique voice. You want to be able to hear a voice and within the first couple of lines know who it is. And this is something yeah. that, you know, for many years in our industry has been celebrated is the uniqueness of people. And that really works with how I think about people anyway. Um, but I think in recent years, I don't know how it relates dance wise, but certainly singing wise, the aim seems to be for people to sound the same. And then everyone is auto tuned and they all kind mm. of very boxed in. And it's, it's, yeah. it's a rare thing when you hear a singer and you just think, wow, that's a voice that I haven't, you yeah. know, it's not like, it's like Amy Winehouse. You don't, you, anyone that tries to be Amy Winehouse could, could not be Amy Winehouse because there's only one of her. No. And that's, that's what makes a legend. That's what makes an absolute superstar is when their voice is completely identifiable. Not all superstars are incredible performers even, but they will have yeah. one of, one of their assets will be on that level. Um, that, that's oh, definitely, definitely you'd see that. And and you coach them with your lovely husband David, don't you? Yeah, he's he's great. How long have you guys been together? We've been together for thirty five years. Oh my gosh! When, when when did you meet? How how was the first meeting? How was the first meeting? Okay, first meeting April the sixteenth, nineteen eighty six. I was a TV presenter. He was a pop star, and he was the guest on the show that I was presenting. And then he kind of chatted me up and he was really nice. And I thought, oh, that's really cute. And then we started seeing each other and then we fell madly in love. And two years later, we got married. And then we said, oh, my gosh, how's that going to work? Because in my family, no one stayed married. Um, and and they, <laughs> neither of us knew what a husband was meant to be because we both knew. We just knew yeah. mothers. We didn't know what husband and wife even was. We didn't really have that modeled. Yeah. We just had mums. So we had to, like, just do what we do. And then we've labeled that husband and wife. And I think it is a bit weird because it's probably not, not like what it's meant to be. But it really works for us. It does work. It actually does work. I love, I love that. How, so you said 35 years together. And what is, what is the magic trick? How do you guys stay together? Yeah. I think that we are similar in some ways and we are very different in, in other ways. I'm very organized. David is very laid back. So he's not great at organization. So I'm very, I'm that strength in the relationship. And he really calms me down because I, with all that organization comes a certain amount of stress and he, he's really, yeah. he's very relaxed. And so I think that, that really works for us. I think also we've both got very strong faith. And I think in a way, once you're, Ooh. if you're focused on faith, you're not expecting the person to be everything. You know, I don't look at David and think you've got to meet every single need in my life. Because, you know, I'm getting that yeah. from my faith. So he can just be himself and I can just be myself. So that's also part of it. And I think thirdly, the other thing is that we both make it our job 
to serve one another. And I think that is one of the most scary words that we would ever use in relationships is I've got to serve my partner because you think, oh my gosh, that's terrifying, but I don't trust. How can I serve? But I think if you are yes. trustworthy, then I, I spend a lot of my days thinking, how can I make David's life better? How can I make him happier? And, but, but I can only do that because he's doing the same for me. He's going, what do I do for yeah. Carrie? How do I make, you know, just before I came on here, he was like, right, I've got your stand. I've got your this. I've got your, you know, he's just gathering everything around me to help me. Because I was like, oh my gosh, I've come out of another meeting. And oh he's God. really, he's just really help, helps me. And, and, um, yeah. So serving, serving one another. It's, it's not, a, it's not a good, it's not a word that many of us like, but I honestly think that that really works for us. I, I guess it's words like in marriage. I, I don't know when you get married and you say your vows or the priest says them. There's this word submissive that I always used to struggle with. I was like, why? Yeah. Why must I be the submissive one? Yeah. But if you learn to kind of it, you, you lean on them. Yeah, I don't really in a way. I think we have a really funny relationship with that word. I'm not comfortable with that word yes. at all. I think it suggests, yeah, and no. given my my childhood, it just suggests it suggests so much pain. So yeah, <laughs> I'm not up for any of that. But what I am up for is being loved by um by my partner to such an extent mm. that I am melted by that, and and that that yeah. is a kind of there is a surrender in that. But there's it's mutual, you know. David could literally break my world, but he also knows I could break his. So I think, I think surrender. Yeah. Surrender. I find an easier word than submission. I think submission is kind of, it it sort of suggests there's someone that's in control and someone that's not. And I just don't think that that's even on my radar. I totally agree with you. I've got so much more that I want to ask you, Carrie, about life family and the rhythm of your life thank you so much right guys that's it for part one but part two is waiting for you already so please come and join us hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hold up. 